That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. Dave here. What's up, Michelle? Yeah, co-host Dr. Michelle Pobega, kicking it with you. Uh, doing great. Having a good time. I wish Listen. all the people on the podcast could see your amazing shirt right now, but... Um, Only the Facebook crowd can. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I want to... We, we talked about talking about this topic uh, a little while ago, and of course, it has to do with the gut and... Um, I've talked it's about called, it. and it's inspired by one of your all-time faves. It is. I talk about <laughs> I talk about psyllium so much because well, every every day when, at clinic I use psyllium fiber. I do. I recommend it for so many people. I wonder if people are sick of us talking about psyllium. Yes, like please let us know. Is this, are we done? Are we still? Have <laughs> we driven <Yeah>. this home? <laughs> are we just finding a different way to talk about psyllium again today? Kind of. No, it's not. It's not for psyllium's sake. It's just that's. It's inspired by. It's, it's inspired, inspired by. by. Yeah, clinical yeah. love of psyllium. Yeah. Um, and after going through, so we're talking about fiber today. In case you haven't figured that out, we're going to talk about a few different ways of fiber because I got, I, I got irked. <laughs> I saw someone say fiber is fiber or something like that. Fiber just makes you crap or like it just makes you you know it just has a laxative effect. I'm like, well, yeah, that's oversimplified. Right. It was just like, just take some psyllium because it'll make you crap because fiber is just fiber kind of mentality. But there's uh, there's some differences. Yeah, it's not it's not just fiber. There are actually subcategories. Thank you very much. Um, so we're going to we're going to chat about that. It was interesting. I think sometime in the throughout the pandemic, I was sitting in an, uh, a webinar series and I believe, I think, I think this is what, what the call, the talk was called. I can't remember precisely, but I think it was like make fiber sexy again. And I was like, well, I got to sit in on that. And this is before you and me even started to begin sharing our mutual love of That's fiber. Funny. Um, but the take home message of this particular talk really was, 
you have to get a variety of fiber because A, they don't all have the same effects. And fiber is beneficial in a sense that um, a good portion of it does feed our microbiome in a beneficial way. We need to fuel the different diversity of our gut bacteria so that they can then do all the immune and anti-inflammatory and reparative jobs that they have to do and, and produce the nutritive and, and nutrients and vitamins that they produce based on that fermentation process. Um, but he was like, you have to get a large variety. And he actually says getting 30 different types of fiber a week, vegetable sources of fibers. So not just vegetables, but like vegetarian sources. So beans, legumes, grains, nuts, seeds, um, like all types of like, even maybe powders and stuff like we're going to talk about, or things that you can add into the foods, um, in order to really optimize a good fuel spectrum for the gut microbiome from that perspective, which I thought was a nice little benchmark for people to try to achieve like 30 different types in a week. And that includes herbs. So if you add dill to your salad, you've just now introduced a new fiber, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, I mean, different fibers mean different bugs, different bugs mean, uh, you know, more benefits. sort of diverse, yeah, diverse hangout in the gut. And uh, that's, that's really key. If you eat the same, like the same stuff all the time, you're going to yeah. have a low diversity of fiber and a low diversity yeah. of bugs. And we know, generally, uh, that's, that's not the way to go. Although that's a, I mean, again, you can say, if you have too many bugs, and the diversity includes nastier bugs and i think the research is just it's a bit confused at the moment yeah. with like yeah. you know how diverse and how many of actinobacter and how many of yeah. bactroides and how many of this but we i think barely Michelle, under, we barely understand the gut microbiome yeah, right totally. like for us to just be able to say something unequivocally and like right it's, and and like we're we've you know the, the left brain aspect of the world is going going scientism and like this religious belief in science and and uh, all that stuff is going a bit crazy and we forget the right brain stuff and some of the simple implementable yeah. things. And I think yeah. what the, Dr. Michelle and I are going are gonna to say basically is eat varied fibers that are generally whole foods, good stuff to eat. And that's, you know, at least you know yeah. that you don't yeah. have to know the rest as much. There is something that, um, I've started to do ever since that particular talk. Cause even I was like 30 fibers and I was trying to count in my head, am I getting a diverse enough amount? So then what I do is like, I get my usuals, my usual grocery shop stuff, but every week I'll try to get two to three different types of vegetables or add in so, something. You see, that different, makes sense. Right. That makes sense. Yep. And then that creates a little bit of diversity on a week to week basis. Yep. You get a little something different one week. And then the next week, like I've been going hard on radishes lately and then I'll get some water and relish. And then you just add some different herbs into your mix. Like it's great. And it doesn't take a lot of effort to do that. What was the name of that talk again? The I think I, I want to say it was called make fiber sexy again or something like you know, that. Or did you know the podcast one I did alone was called make psyllium great again? Really? So, so it was something about making fiber sexy or, or sure fi- fiber is sexy. Make, make psyllium great again. That's am that's I just a, looking at your podcast? I, I don't know. know if you, if you look, if you search like make psyllium great again, you see my face next to Donald <laughs> Trump. And- <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. But uh, yeah, but it was basically it had the it had the word sexy and fiber, I believe, okay. in the title for this web for this webinar. And regardless, well, a diversity is key because they all have different purposes for how it how it supports our gut health. So, having said that, I think the the two biggest sub branches for fibers is that you can have an insoluble type of fiber and then a soluble type of fiber. Yeah. 
And these do not share the same properties. So they don't have the same effects in the body. They both have good things, but they have slightly different things that they do. So um, insoluble fiber, Dave, take us home. Okay, basically the nerdy physical chemical properties that sort of make it insoluble is that it has no water holding capacity. It doesn't really interact uh, with, with water in a mm-hmm. sense. And the mm-hmm. way it works is actually by interaction with the, it stimulates the colonic mucosa. And Michelle had a great word basically to like, you know, try and when you think of this word, you're probably getting close to the understanding of insoluble yeah. fiber. And she said, roughage, roughage, that type of food, roughage, like your, yeah. your broccolis, your cabbages, things like that. That's going to be cellulose a probably being Ce- the most ce- common celery <laughs> has cellulose. Oh. I wonder if that's where it came from. Clever little things. But yeah, so like, you know, things that are sort of rough, rough, large particles are going to um, be insoluble uh, to some extent. And they don't form like a a gel layer, which is what soluble fiber is all about. Should we talk about that then? Yeah, really quickly with insoluble fiber, I always kind of envision... Not so much of an irritant, but I guess maybe more of a. That's what it is. Is it, right. is it an irritant? It's a bit it like irritates the colonic layer. Yes. So it improves. Irritates. It improves motility and it proves how things move through the digestive system. Specifically in the colon. Right. That's colon. key too, right? Colon. We're not talking about the small intestine. I think that we didn't even talk about that, but I think that's an important distinction too. So, so that's what we want to think about. So that's insoluble, insoluble yeah. fiber. So now we have soluble fiber. Um, but this gets broken up into two sub branches, but really quickly as an overall soluble fiber is something that can interact with water. And then it does create like a gel like consistency, um, and which then increases the water content in the colon for like stool formation. So this can also help create more of like a lubricated type stool. So hint, hint, nudge, nudge, when we talk about this later, because it has more water. Yeah. Um, which is nice. Yeah. And so I'll even, I'll even, uh, take that to another level that almost, uh, brings it back to what you're saying with the diversity of bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what determines where things live is the environment, right? So, yep. uh, a bird doesn't do as well. Generally, most birds don't do as well in the water, right? right. They, they do well in the air and fish do well in the water and, uh, you know, things adjust to their environment, some animals and think fish or whatever, like warmer, some like colder, some like more, whatever you get. What I'm saying yep. is that, uh, different bugs will be attracted now to the bowel, to the stool when the stool contains more water. And I think that's really important. I don't see that much in the reading that I've done, but it's something I've sort of inferred. And it's like, well, we've now by hydrating the stool and we know for the vast majority of people, psyllium is going to make uh, bowel function better. The implication is that probably the bugs are better in, mm-hmm. in, I mean, overall, mm-hmm. right? Um, so my, my thinking is by uh, making the stool have more water in it, we're changing the environment of the stool, the bowel, and this changes our inhabitants of the bowel, probably selecting for overall better happier inhabitants than nastier ones. 
Totally. And just, and just really quickly back to insoluble fiber, that would be the same thing for that, because if it's an irritant and allows things to move through at a better pace, you're not allowing for excessive fermentation because something isn't just sitting there for a long period of time, creating fermentation and creating an environment that allows the wrong bacteria to thrive. We need to, we need to think about that as well from an insoluble fiber perspective to allow things to move at the pace it's supposed to. So you don't allow for stagnation, just like if you have like stagnant water outside, algae grows, mosquitoes get attracted to it, things that we don't want, right? So we have to think about that as well for the colon. So both of these are going to have a, an impact an on the environment. That's an important point because you, like you said, you don't, oh, let's look at the, I mean, the extremes are constipation often and diarrhea. What's yeah. going on with that? Well, basically uh, things have gone through way too fast for diarrhea yeah. and things have gone through way too fast or way too slow yeah. for uh, constipation. So imagine that balance, you do need something in the middle. So, yeah. Okay. Um, anything, I mean, I could go off about too much about, uh, psyllium, but psyllium is the prototypical soluble fiber. Right. Um, and then you could say, because soluble fiber includes, uh, a lot of prebiotics, you could say inulin is like, well, there's other ones I know, but yeah. inulin would be like a prototypical prebiotic soluble fiber because yeah. what it does is, is, uh, as a prebiotic, it feeds the probiotics. Yeah. So, so if anyone like wonders about if you've never seen psyllium as the prototype, prototypical soluble fiber, literally just get some at bulk bar and it's super cheap, put it in some water and see what happens. It legit yeah. forms a thick gel. So for me, I take it every morning and I have to mix it and I got to down it right away. Cause if you hesitate, that starts to thicken up and then you don't, you don't want to try to chug that. Down. Yeah. It's properly <laughs> nasty. If you try to like take it a, a little while, or if you put, I've had people say they put it in their smoothie and then, uh, and then I'm just like, no, no, no. don't do that. No girl. If you just want, you're just going to gulp like a scum on the pond. It's gross. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it, it will send a gag reflex. Like it's hard <laughs> for me. You're just like <laughs> trying to get it down. <laughs> mm. So really quickly, um, when it comes to soluble fiber, there is this whole idea of like viscous versus non-viscous as well. Right, Dave? Because hmm. like even with that, there's a bit of a sub-branch with viscous versus non-viscous. And like um viscous fiber makes a gel. It, it that's the one that makes more of a gel. Yeah. So even even soluble fibers, there's certain soluble fibers that don't make a gel, like the, the one that Dave also earlier said, inulin. So that's a yeah. non-viscous type yes. of fiber. Same with like fruit to oligosaccharides, same with like wheat dextrin. These are like non-viscous fibers where like psyllium is that prototypical viscous, very viscous soluble fiber, which creates the gel. So yes. even that whole soluble category gets broken down. So this is again, just to drive home the idea that not all fibers are the same. We can't mm -hmm. just look at them and paint them all under the same with the, and put them all in like same categories if they all do the same thing. There's very distinct categories. And it even gets more detailed than that. And even at that yeah, point, like we, even, we, even Dave and I were kind of like, oh, this is getting really detailed. We're like, we can't, <laughs> like, this is going to get too much for our yeah. audience. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, we know because it's getting too much for us. And, and yeah. like, that that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but there's duality involved in both of them, which uh, is very interesting. I love philosophy so sort of forgive me i bring in those things sometimes but there's duality involved in uh both insoluble and soluble fiber mm -hmm. the duality involved in in psyllium is very interesting and probably uh easier to under 
uh, understand or use clinically. And that's the fact that it has this dichotomous sort of effect where it can help uh, with diarrhea and it will also yeah. help someone with constipation, which yeah. is sort of counterintuitive. And that, I think that's, that's what triggered me the most with this uh, imprecise uh, labeling of psyllium right. was just a laxative. Yeah. It's not. Nope. Yeah. Okay. It's not true. Not true kids. Um, and then some foods will have a little bit of both, right? So things like legumes and beans, they also have a source of insoluble. They're a source of insoluble, yeah, yeah. but also soluble fiber. Um, so you can, well, even if it's look a plant, it'll have cellulose, right? So there's, right. there's your insoluble, right? Yeah. But it, but unlike something like celery per se, this also has a bit of soluble fiber in a legume yes. or a bean or something. So some things will, you'll have benefits of two things in there. And then some things might be just more heavy handed on the soluble or the insoluble side. So that's why having a diversity of these things is really important in a, in a, to have like a really healthy, robust diet to support good gut health. Now there's, there is something like we already talked about with the inulin with prebiotics. So prebiotics, these are non- these are also non-digestible fibers. Well, no, no fibers really digestible in the sense that we don't absorb it. It's more beneficial for like only in the intestinal tubes. Um, but, um, uh, I guess re like resistant starches, undigestible sugars, I guess would be a better definition for prebiotics, but they typically have, they are a source of fiber. They're typically a soluble source of fiber. They can be viscous or non-viscous. So prebiotics can fall into either one. And the benefits of prebiotics is that they are food for our gut bacteria. Um, and most of these prebiotics are going to be highly fermentable. There's varying degrees of fermentability, I think, between the prebiotics, but most of them are highly fermentable. So if you're somebody who suffers from like a lot of gas and bloating, like a SIBO type of classical picture and, or one of those IBS type pictures, this may or may not be the place you want to start, yeah, exactly. right? This could be an irritant. Cause it might, if you have the wrong balance of bacteria and all bacteria feed off of these prebiotics, then you might be feeding more of the things that you don't want and aggravating those symptoms. What you do need to do is rebalance the microbiome first with a skilled practitioner, please. And then you might be able to, you can slowly integrate these. Cause at the end of the day, we always want to get people back into a place where they can handle having sources of prebiotics and different types of fibers to feed a robust microbiome. But first you might have to rebalance that bacterial ecosystem before jumping into that. So just ahead of warning for that. Yeah. And, and prebiotics, like it's, it's funny how we define things we're now moving from like their physical chemical properties to you know the way they're used which is um which means like we're using them for they're called prebiotics because they're feeding probiotics we're not yeah. even talking about their physical chemical properties so you see how there's some confusing sort of overlap yeah. here yeah. with a lot of them um funnily enough uh prebiotics if they're called a pre, and this is still kind of stumping me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, I'm transparently coming through with a bit of ignorance here. I hope that's well accepted. Yeah. But I feel like, you know what, even though you and I love gut health, I'm still learning things in like yeah, yeah, research yeah. world. We're only, only it's the gut health and the microbiome is only starting to get the attention it deserves. Now there's so much more to understand about that, that we we're barely scratching the surface and you and I yeah. are probably ahead of the curve when it comes to most certain people in this profession or even in the medical world. But like, 
it's still a drop in the hat compared to what actually is going on in there. Let's be real. So with that, with that <laughs> preemptive uh, warning, <laughs> yeah. pre- prebiotics are are supposed to, by definition, if they're called a prebiotic, they're supposed to preferentially, if not um, only support uh, healthy, good bacteria, not right. not uh, support the growth of pathogenic uh, commensal bacteria that don't do us mm-hmm. any good, mm-hmm. which is okay. That's fine. Like it helps it's nice. You read a paper. It says prebiotics for you know, preferentially support the good bacteria. Well, mm-hmm. in practice, what we see is a lot of uh, FODMAPs, you know, like the, the people that are probably hopefully listening to this little bit here are the FODMAPs people who they did, they do well when they follow a FODMAPs diet, which is yeah. a bunch of prebiotics. Um, yeah. So that's when it gets kind of it gets kind of confusing, right? Because the prebiotics should be supporting the good bacteria, but when you starve the good bacteria, when you do the FODMAPs diet, because you're starving all the bacteria, um, it gets kind of confusing that way. I think the I think I have a, I have a I have um, a perspective on this. I think it's because in SIBO or that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, it's not necessarily that you have you might have pathogenic bacteria as well, but you also have an overgrowth even of beneficial bacteria, but just in the wrong spot. So that's where it is, Mm -hmm. right? Where most of that's supposed to be in the colon, but somehow um, those beneficial bacteria didn't flush through the small intestine and fully dump into the colon to maintain a certain level in the small intestine because they're not supposed to have actually that much in the small intestine when it comes to bacteria. Or there was a backwashing of what's because of a faulty valve, the ileocecal valve from the colon into the small intestine. So that's where the, the avoiding the prebiotics is going to be, I think, necessary until that stuff gets in check. Right. So it's, I don't, so it might not be that it's feeding the bad bacteria. It's feeding the good bacteria. It's just those bacteria in the wrong spot. Yeah. And it's also, and I guess that's what I just want people to understand that that's probably why you're experiencing those issues. It's also, it's, it shows the fragility or, 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 uh, danger in having a, uh, really left brain only, uh, ideological sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause there's a hell of a lot of other shit that I'd find wrong. I'm sure in someone with SIBO, that's a it. Like, hell I'm of checking, a ton of other stuff, checking their valves. I'm checking their stomach acid. Exactly. I'm checking how stressed they are. <laughs> are they chewing? Exactly. But we, we love to, you know, once we have an ideology, we yeah. love to make the world fit it rather than yeah. Uh, the other way around. You know what? When I was dealing with my own quote unquote SIBO, I never really avoided FODMAPs foods. I still ate garlic. I still ate all the things. I just did How do you the cook things. Without garlic and onion. Oh my God, it's a boring life. Don't ever introduce totally. me to that. But um <laughs> <laughs> but I did the other stuff to improve my vagus nerve, to improve my parasympathetic nervous response, to improve my stomach acid, to improve my digestive fires, to improve like how things, my MMC and how things flushed in the, in the house cleaning properties. I did, and to reduce some of the other pathogenic bacteria that were in my body that were leaving me vulnerable for allowing everything to just get into sort of chaos and the food sensitivities. It wasn't a matter of doing the FODMAPs. I never actually went low FODMAPs ever, mm-hmm. right? I dealt with it by looking at everything else, just Mm -hmm. FYI for people out there. And, you know, that being said, FODMAPs can be 
I find it really helpful. Let's say someone comes to me and they say, oh, I did the yeah. FODMAPs for two weeks and I felt so much better. I'm like, well, clearly you have some sort of dysbiotic, yeah. you know, so it's not like it's a, if you did it, uh, it's not like it's a, a bad thing. It's just, it's no. not a sustainable long-term thing. That's for no, it's, sure. it's hard, but it can be very useful. To, like from a diagnostic, if someone yeah. says that and they felt a, better a doing FODMAPs and I'm kind of like, oh, well that already like yeah, that checks off a few boxes of what's happening. Inside, exactly. Right? But, there's, one, yeah. there's one more nerdy thing that I, uh, I had underlined and, uh, uh, bolded mm-hmm. on our little, uh, sheet that we're following here. And that was, um, in the large bowel, there are only two mechanisms that drive a laxative effect. So large bowel means oh, yeah. colon. Large or coarse insoluble fiber particles, such as wheat bran, mechanically irritate the gut mucosa, stimulating water and mucus secretion. One. Two, the high water holding capacity of gel forming soluble fiber, example, psyllium, uh, resists dehydration because dehydration in the, in the colon uh, is not good if you want to have a poop. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, So when do you want to, do you want to make some of this uh, hammer home to like a few different cases that people may be like, Hey, that's me. Or maybe practitioner be like, Hey, I've got a hundo, a hundo P. So we already kind of touched around the SIBO and the gassy IBS and the bloaty type of IBS. You don't want to start with prebiotics. Now, Dave and I discussed the fact that clinically we have seen people in this category more often than not still tolerate psyllium, but I'll typically start really, really low and slow dose, like start with a half a teaspoon or Mm -hmm. something and just see how you feel. Right. Um, and I find that that's relatively well tolerated, but you know what? It's case by case. It's not always the same because it really depends on what's happening below the below under the hood. Right. And we can't see it all. So it's hard to always anticipate, but I find that one's relatively well tolerated, but like you, I avoid the prebiotic like fibers, um, as, as something to use therapeutically. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And maybe worth saying to maybe super obvious, but worth saying is even, you know, before we do psyllium or when we do psyllium, we're going to say, you know, back to insoluble fiber. Well, what's one of the best ways to get insoluble fiber, just eat enough vegetables and fruits, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just start with that. If you don't yeah. eat enough fruits and vegetables, then we really are forgetting some real basic stuff. But when it comes to the IBS person, it's, Mm -hmm. this is that, this is that classic person. It's like the healthier I eat, i.e., the more vegetables and fruit I eat, the worse I feel. Right. So for me, that's usually one of those like red flags that this could possibly a SIBO Mm -hmm. picture. Um, so, so, so in those cases, right. So in those cases, telling them to eat more vegetables, they might feel worse. So you still have to treat the other underlying issues. So in, in that particular case, it's, it's going to be case by case and how you approach it. It's not going to be a one-off where people can just eat, you know, all variety of fibers. You might actually have to proceed more slowly with more more caution for the SIBO and and IBS gassy IBS person. And I'm also going to give what I, I think at this point is a pro tip. And that is look at that stomach because the, the stump people who have stomach issues almost invariably have a tough time with healthier foods because guess what? They're often harder to break down. And this includes like meat and the vegetables and all that, but guess what? They have no problem with carbs, carbs, find carbs because the stomach doesn't have white bread. They're like, I tolerate white bread. No problem. Like sure you do. Of course. (laughs) So do I. Crackers, Ritz crackers are never an issue. 
course. And when not. do you, when do you often go for crackers when you when like, you're nauseated, nause- <laughs> nauseous and crappy, right? Boom, come on. Yeah. Stomach hot tips. All right, what's, tips. The, what's the next one? Okay, so I thought of uh, you know my my life uh, a lot of my life has been alternating constipation diarrhea uh and so i thought that's a fairly common thing that i see too so mm-hmm. what do you what kind of fiber are you thinking when you see maybe alternating constipation diarrhea well it's standard psyllium because it has both uh, um bulk forming effects but also lubricating effects so bulk forming to like form the bowels from a diarrhea perspective but lubricating in the sense of constipation where it can help it also move more effectively out of the out of the colon yeah Psyllium nailed comes, it yeah psyllium comes through <laughs> comes through okay um and there's i mean a, yeah. there's tons of other things you you could think of but we're just kind of limiting it to we're keeping it pretty simple just for yeah. yeah and then so constipation what are you thinking when you see chronic constipation i mean you're thinking lots i know but when you're thinking like what kind of uh contents of the bowel do i want to support what are you doing well you want to increase roughage yeah Roughage. But I, I would also add in the psyllium in order to create the gel, yeah. the gel yeah. and the height and the hydration. Cause a lot of times people are like, it's not even that they're skipping days. A lot of times they're like a lot of people don't realize they're constipated because they have to strain and their poop comes exactly. out hard. Right. But they're like, but I don't skip days. So I didn't think I was constipated. I was like, no, honey, you're still constipated. So the psyllium is nice for that too. And that person you just said, honey, too, also needs to go see pelvic floor physio. Yeah. And get a squatty potty. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Okay. Diarrhea. <laughs> Excuse me. What? Diarrhea. Diarrhea. Um, we would want something that probably creates more structure and form. So what would you use for that? Well, I would, I would say at least some sort of something with viscosity definitely not the insoluble fiber wouldn't be my go-to no. it's no, not like eating that's fruits a, that's yeah. an irritant not like eating fruits and vegetables you know should stop um but it wouldn't be what i would think would have like a therapeutic effect it'd be something more viscous yeah if you're going to add something from a therapeutic perspective like yes eat, keep eating fruits and veggies but also add this it would be something viscous which and you sharpened me up on it you said even you know something another subgroup uh of viscous uh well let's say herbs um and not just herbs actually yeah foods can be like oatmeal mm-hmm. um what 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 specifically were you thinking i was thinking like demulcerants like slippery yeah. elm and marshmallow root because i was and i was like i was like we were having a pre-talk and i said you know because those are soothing so if, if something is irritating the bowels it's causing it to like push things out at an exponential pace at an, as a crazy speeds, we want something to also soothe the irritation. And if we think about these, they also create like a gel, like mucus. So they clearly hold water in them. So they're viscous. Mm-hmm. And I think they're a nice adjunct to uh, a protocol for any kind of irritated, like that's traditional use too. I think it demulcents are traditionally used for uh, like the old eclectics and all that. I think that's a traditional use, right? Demulcents for diarrhea. Uh, you know, I don't remember. I don't remember, I but, it I, is. but I do. I'm a, yeah. I like to think I'm eclectic. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with, uh, I think that's, I think that's the case. And either way, I agree with you. They're yeah. viscous anyway, and yeah. they've got that uh, healing demulcent effect too. So They're bam, let's go. Ayo. Okay. And then, for someone 
who you suspect some form of malabsorption. So that could be, oh my God. I mean, there's tons of malabsorption just means you're not absorbing properly. And there's tons of reasons for that. But again, what are you thinking with, with uh, malabsorption? So I would think something viscous that slows down how things move through the digestive tract so that in the small intestines, if it's moving through in a slower pace, there's more time to absorb those vitamins and nutrients and minerals. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I mean, who knows what's happening with the malabsorption if it has anything to do with liver gallbladder bile as well, you're going to get, uh, you're probably going to bring in the psyllium for that too. Um, yeah. it's going to, cause, cause what happens with the psyllium is it, it binds, uh, the bile salts, takes them out and then the, the liver makes more. And so it yeah. just sort of keeps that, that bile train going, bringing down your cholesterol too, by the way. Yeah. Um, and malabsorption from like celiac disease, I would say, or like IBS and Crohn's. I don't know if I would go to some, I may or may not do psyllium. I probably would, but I would do a lot of demulcents for those to heal mm -hmm. the gut tissue as well, to improve, improve the tissue capacity to absorb if you yeah, bring down the fires in there. And you were saying a lot of time you'd use a couple of things at once, like uh, yeah. some gut supportive uh, demulcents and psyllium at the same time. Why not? Yeah. You're slowing down the, the time that the, the stuff that you're giving is in contact with the uh, small intestinal layer. So why not? Yeah. There's always been a lot of that. We were talking about this. There's always been a lot of confusion as to whether or not you can take something like psyllium or these fiber supplements around food or meals or vitamins or medications. And I think with medications, if you need something like an antidepressant to be fast acting, you don't want to slow down how it's absorbed in the intestinal tract. Right. So I think that doing, choosing to do a supplemental supplement fiber, uh, sorry, a fiber supplement would be advantageous to take away from medication. But for me, if, I'm having someone do something that they need gut healing and I'm going to give them like a GI revive or a GI repair pro or something like that. Some gut healing formula. I'll have them add that powder with their psyllium because I want all of that to act locally. Um, and then the slower it's absorbed, like the slower it moves to the system, the better chance all the enterocytes get a chance to absorb and like make benefit from those nutrients. So I, that's always made sense in my head to combine those kinds of things together. Um, so I often just do that. Yeah. I struggled to answer this with a patient this week, uh, something about she's, she's on uh, medications and we gave guess what psyllium. And I'm like, okay, generally they say, don't take it with medications and, and all that. And I'm like, this is what they say. So I have to give that some sort of, uh, value, whether it's 1% mm -hmm. right or hundred percent. Right. I don't know, but I gave it some value, but then I was like, I don't, I don't know what to say because, um, I'm not sure that's the case all the time yeah. because of what happens with nutrients where, uh, if you take, if you take, uh, psyllium, it slows down that intestinal transit, which actually ends up you, you, you absorb at least the same nutrients. Um, so, Again, will, will the drug not be, uh, will the pharmacokinetics be different because it's, it's moving through the uh, small intestine uh, slower and the large intestine faster? I don't, I, there's too many variables yeah. for me. So I almost would say, let's go low and slow uh, with, with adding the psyllium. And if you feel worse, like I'm getting so, I feel kind of bad about it, but but then again, I don't really feel bad about it. I just, if people feel better doing it this way or that way, then that means yeah. more to me than some, 
of theory I, I, that doesn't make sense. I feel like because it doesn't interfere with the absorption of vitamins and minerals and nutrients. Yes. Now it, well, it probably won't interfere with the pharmaceuticals. However, that being could said, be no, 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 <laughs> but, 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 but I, I can't say for a certain, however, yeah. the, the thought process is, is just slows down how quickly those things move and it might slow down the absorption, but it doesn't actually stop absorption. So yes. from a pharmaceutical perspective, if you need your antidepressant to work every morning, you probably don't want to take it with something that slows its absorption. You probably want it to absorb as quickly as possible to get reap the benefits from that. So I think that's probably more where we want to space it away from stuff. I feel like if, if I'm thinking it through, so mm -hmm. maybe in those kinds of cases, I would say, take your psyllium before your meals. If mm -hmm. you're not taking a medication with your meals, take it with your meals, because yeah, then you yeah. also benefit blood sugar regulation and cholesterol yeah. um, by doing it that way. And then if that might be a good benchmark to still get that extra soluble fiber, but not have it interact with medication. Just thinking out loud almost now. Yeah. So no, I, I, I get what you're, I get what you're saying there for sure. Cause I've had that question before and it's so funny until you and I actually talked about it today. Um, I've always been a little bit perplexed about that too. So even preparing for today's discussion, that was something that kind of got solidified in my head. So that's, I'm more confident now answering those questions. Okay. Yeah. That's our, that's our talk on fiber is not just fiber. There's a few different kinds of fiber. All of them will make you poop, but uh, they're all going to have a different way as to why Ooh, we didn't talk about that what? brings up one last, all of them will make, remember insoluble fiber. If it's really, really small particles, we didn't talk about my little, my little guy. Oh remember? yeah. So if yeah. he eats a lot of fruit and veg and stuff, he poops great. Uh, but if he gets too much in the way of those, like, uh, I don't know, like snacks in a package that my whatever grandma goldfish or, cookies and yeah, those types of like, like farinaceous foods, yeah. um, like real carby grain things. So what's going on there is they've got such small particles that they actually uh, kind of dehydrate the stool. It would be that, but also there's probably not a lot of fiber on them because they've probably been more refined. That's what it, there's so the fiber right. is so referring right. They are insoluble fiber. Right. This is the because remember we said larger, coarser particles right. are are going to stimulate the, the improve colon. transit time, improve yes. like the speed. Or yeah, speed it up. Whereas these really tiny, highly, highly processed insoluble fibers um, will actually make it worse. So so Voila. there. Yeah. All right. Michelle, thanks for uh, stimulating conversation. Thanks for stimulating our our uh, fiber conversation again. I really hope people enjoy this as much as we did because we're such nerds. <laughs> I think it was I think it was a useful one. I hope so. I hope, I hope so. so. At least for the clinicians out there, like it's not a one size fits all, folks. The diversity diversity is key, but when it comes to 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 case and condition specific, you're going to want to maybe veer towards certain ones more so than exactly. others. Exactly. Bam. Nice. I can, I think that's a lovely way to finish. Thank you again, Michelle.